You're listening to Kiss My Glass, a monthly podcast serving up the latest news, trends, and events relating to all things liquid in San Diego. This podcast is recorded as a collaboration between Pacific Magazine and Facebook group Eating and Drinking in San Diego. It is released on the fourth Monday of each month and hosted on the UT Podcast Network. If you want to continue the conversation, be sure to visit the EDSD group on Facebook and head to PacificSanDiego.com for updates on bar and brewery openings, beer of the week features, brewer and bartender profiles, and drink forward events. Also be sure to check out Dish It Up, our sister podcast focusing on the food scene around San Diego, which hits podcast platforms on the second Monday of every month. Without further ado, here's your host, Edwin Rial. This is Edwin Rial, and this is Kiss My Glass, a collaboration podcast between eating and drinking in San Diego and Pacific Magazine. Today's guest is Stefan Karpinski. Stefan is the bartender, bar manager, everything behind the bar, behind the stick over at 100 Proof. And he also does a lot of consulting, and he consults down in Tijuana. Talk about that one first. Sure. Yeah, we can we can start there. Um, I started uh, consulting for a really rad project down in Tijuana about, boy, I guess that was a little over three years ago now, with Snake Oil, which is a cocktail consulting company here in San Diego. And I was asked to kind of help out as uh, there was a dual concept going on. In the front was a really fan- fantastic restaurant, still is, uh, a little over three years old, called Oryx Capital, owned and operated operated by the uh, Rufo family, or the Ibarra family, uh, most notably Rufo Ibarra, who's the uh, chef owner, um, kind of celebrity chef these days. Back then, he was just a little little guy who was asking me about tattoos. Uh, now he's one of the best chefs in the world, I feel like. And then in the back was a uh, kind of a speakeasy concept they were calling Nortico. And uh, I was asked to help with that project since I've delved into the like pre-prohibition era of cocktails throughout my career and have always been really passionate about classics and how they translate to the modern palate. So that were, that's kind of how I got involved there. Uh, Snake Oil ran its course the year contract they had and didn't renew. And I just fell in love with the people, fell in love with the bar staff and the idea of pushing a market forward that had never had and never seen true quality cocktails like this and help that that you know that whole process go whereas here in san diego at the time i think we were on year seven or eight of that craft cocktail movement we were on year zero in tijuana so i wanted to be a part of that and i fell in love with the people and i've stayed on since that's amazing what does it mean to collaborate on this project in tijuana yeah, so I mean, I was a consulting bartender for Nortico, uh, the speakeasy down there, um, and it really delved into the whole prohibition, post, pre-prohibition to prohibition era in Tijuana, and how that completely changed the town. And I, I was, I could have easily just put a cocktail menu in there, trained them up, and gotten out of town. But what I wanted to do, mostly because of the people I had at the bar, who had a lot of knowledge and had a lot of know-how, they just need a little push in that in that style because they were a little bit more modern obviously in focus so instead of just telling them what to do I wanted to collaborate so uh, there's a guy down there Fernando uh, Villalobos who's one of the best bartenders I know very skilled he and I kind of collaborated on that project from the first menu which was supposed to be just me telling him what to do Uh, but there was a couple of his cocktails on there and a few of mine and a few that we collaborated on and then the next menu was a total collaboration everybody just brought good cocktails and we you know expanded off of that and ever since I've I've gone down with techniques and kind of helped them out. And I've brought ingredients. I always bring something down with me, you know, whether it's a, a bottle they can't have down there or what have you. And just try to prop up the community a bit and show them that good cocktails are great. And like there's 
obviously become a career for bar t- like good bartenders in, in San Diego and all over the U.S. And I wanted to make sure that there was the ability for that in Tijuana as well. And working with Fernando and then now his number two, uh, Kevin, who's one of the most technical bartenders I've ever met. And he can't, he doesn't even have papers to come to the States. He just learned on YouTube and through Fernando and I. But yeah, like they've far surpassed what I could have ever imagined them to in the first three years. But they've become one of the best bars in Mexico. Mexico, not just Baja, uh, all of Mexico. And and when you have the Limitor group coming in to do a guest spot and, and they're the best bar in, in Mexico City, they're the best bar in Mexico. They're number 11 worldwide. And they're like, hey, this is a legit program. That, like, you know, is vindication. Validates. Yeah. And three years ago when Trump got elected, that night we, we had a, uh, a collaboration uh, cocktail competition between Baja and, and San Diego, kind of as a sign of solidarity. I mean, we at that point, we didn't expect Trump to win. But in case, like, there was plenty of talk about it that it could happen. So we went down there and we just, you know, we, I think some, uh, a gentleman from Baja won. And, uh, but we had a great time. And when we got back on, on Wi-Fi, we realized the, the night had turned. But um, it was, it's stuff like that that has seen growth in, in, uh, in, the, in the Tijuana region and for cocktails. And there's more bars opening up now. And they all have a – they've all – like I guess Nortico, myself, uh, Snake Oil in a way, um, or, or, or Fernando or, or those guys, anybody associated with Nortico – has had a hand in that in some way. And not just cocktails, but also the coffee. Uh, there's projects with coffee roasters that Northico has, you know, helped out because they're looking for a certain flavor fo- flavor profile. And the flavor profile of TJ has changed for drinks in the last three years. And I think that we have a lot to do with that. Is back when we were opening up that bar, we actually had to adjust classic cocktail specs for a slightly sweeter palate, which was what Tijuana was. And... We had to, like, change the way distribution happens. You couldn't get a rye whiskey in all of Baja, especially northern Baja. You know, I, we literally, I mean, I don't, don't, you know, I don't, I'm not going to tell you where I live, but, like, I, I had to bring rye whiskey down to the bar so we'd have stuff for old fashions. And nowadays, they finally have, they've developed a, a need for it, and the local suppliers are now bringing wild turkey uh, rye in and I, that's a big win for me that that a region now has an ingredient they never had because we developed a need for it and so look the community is actually embracing you guys right. down I there mean, too and they I, yeah and they they were always drinking good cocktails but they were driving all the way across the border to noble experiment to you know uh, they would come a lot to george's um but yeah they like they were they're drinking this stuff and they're spending american dollars for it but they weren't they didn't have anything in their own backyard they could go to and be proud of and it took a little while to get people excited about it they would spend 12 15 for a cocktail in the states but they wouldn't want to spend the equivalent of 10 dollars us down there at north dakota when we first opened we're like listen well you're saving the drive and the commute and you know yeah and the cocktails are just as good so it took a little time for that and i think a lot of it is just the way uh, mexicans drink they don't drink they've never had it's it's a difference between uh, prohibition and no and a, and a, a state that never had prohibition, but they don't see drinking as a negative thing at all. So why would you drink in a room that doesn't have any windows that's hidden from the public? You know, so that concept of of speakeasy kind of backfired on us originally, because like it's not it's a, not a thing. It's not a dirty thing. Yeah, yeah, like in the states, like yeah, there's that whole history of having prohibition, so it's kind of exciting and you know like oh yeah, we're doing something rebellious rebellious by 
going to a speakeasy. But in Mexico, it's like, well, why are we in a, you know, I want to see outside. Like, I want to sit outside and smoke a cigarette. I'm spending $10 on this. Yeah, I'm spending $10. Why am I hidden in a room? (laughs) So we had to kind of teach them that kitsch. And and that's been fun, too. You talk about working with a great chef. You work with a great chef here in uh, Brad Wise. Brad Wise is fantastic. I think he's like one of the only people who actually understands how to properly season food. Yeah, he was a previous guest here, and we talked about having so many talented people on his team and creating such a deep bench that he had to open 100 proof where you are now right seemingly he's got an even deeper bench because you guys just opened up fort oak right and there's a lot of talented people there too also behind the bar and in the kitchen and not only that but they've helped um over at small bar with the re remodel over there as well as far as offering some advice and offering a little bit of cash as well to karen yep to keep that place afloat and turn it in and i guess evolve it into a more modern concept that can stay afloat for the next 10 plus years and be awesome in this town. What does it do for you as a bartender to work with talented chefs? How does it help your yeah, <laughs> your I, your sense of creation and all of this? Well, I think we I align. I've always aligned um, with the culinary staff wherever I work, mostly because that's where I came from. I started life in the back of house 15 and a half as soon as I could get a job in high school washing dishes and that quickly turned into a prep job and into you know a, a line cook job uh, and I did that for the first six years of my career learned that that whole brigade feel and the, the 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 way that the kitchens operate and how to how to play with flavors how to you know coax flavor out of things food science really that then easily translated once I got behind the bar to be able to you know kind of push that into you know cocktail science but it's basically the same thing you're, you're dealing with very similar ingredients and similar ideas and you know values so yeah i've always wanted to surround myself with people who could push me and help me grow and uh, that's what i've done throughout my career really and i think like that creativity and uh and it never used to be for me like the bar or culinary was my creative out outreach it was really music but when music kind of dried up for me i just put all that creative you know process and the brain that i have right into that so we also had jason o'brien over at lion share in here and He's very much the same way. He's real cerebral about how he takes flavors from the kitchen and incorporating that into his cocktails, whether it's, you know, dehydrating fruits or using, like, juices that are coming from the kitchen. He really incorporates a lot of the flavors of the kitchen to create a bar, like a bar program that uh, captures that. Is that kind of how you take a... Jason O'Brien is amazing, and what he's doing at Lion Share is incredible. And for those that are listening to this, they should, if they haven't already, after the last podcast, if they haven't gone checked him out, they need to. That is a great bar. Agreed. One that I think kind of gets overlooked on lists every once in a while because of where it's located a couple blocks away from the convention center. And a lot of times people don't want to go down there and park, what have you. But if you're going downtown and you don't want that downtown vibe, I definitely suggest going to Lion Share. Or if you're in Little Italy, it's a quick walk as well. Um, enough plug for him. But uh, he takes a very, he does take a c- cerebral approach. And so do I, I guess. But he's definitely uses that scientific method a lot more than I do. He'll approach a cocktail from 18 different ways. And, and just like, he'll write, mark down notes. And I've seen his process and it's exactly the scientific method. And if, you know, if that works and it does for him, it makes beautiful cocktails. For me, I've been behind the bar for 18 years and I've got like this 
I've just been balancing cocktails for 18 years and I've got this inherent idea of what balances a cocktail and I can almost do it in my head at this point once I have all the ingredients lined out not to say I'm not doing the same thing I'm sitting in the kitchen or in the in you know behind the bar developing you know different infusions or you know bitters or uh, syrups what have you or different ways to you know approach an ingredient but at the end of the day um, I I have this I don't know it's weird because everybody who I talk to is like man like you just get your cocktails are good on the first try it's like well I have like 16 years on you you know I'm an old guy and I kind of I can do it by feel a bit uh, a bit more than the scientific method but we the end result both turn out to be awesome I've heard trust described as being a restaurant with a good bar Mm -hmm. and hundred proof being a bar with a good restaurant yeah thoughts yeah well, the Trust Restaurant Group is spectacular, and you, you definitely hit the nail on the head on the idea of, of Brad and his business partner, Steve Schwab, just finding the best people, knowing their weaknesses, and finding the best people that can prop those up, and just basically hiring good talent and figuring out what to do with them later. You know, they've they brought on, you know, uh, a couple of the chefs over at Trust who've, who've really solidified that program after Brad's had to move on to Fort Oak and what have you. You know, he he targeted Chef Mark, who uh, who left a great kitchen in Cucina Urbana, and held on to him in the company and paid him for six, seven, eight months before Fort Oak even opened up, just because he was the right guy. He was the right guy to run that kitchen. It didn't matter what time it was when they hired him; they just wanted to make sure they had him. Same thing with me. Same thing with you know with Francis over at Small Bar. I feel like they try to surround themselves with talent and then figure out how to you know make sure everybody's happy and they can play together, which is the hardest part, right? Managing the egos. And they've got one of the best pastry chefs in town too. So there's already this culinary ethos within the company that is one of the best in in the business and one of the best in San Diego for sure. And I've worked along some really good ones. So when they approached Hunter Proof, it was kind of a, a, you know, a late, you know, like, oh shoot, this is available. It's cheap. Let's do it. And then they realized that it wasn't, obviously never anything is as easy as you think it's going to be. They basically had to bring that whole place back to the studs because the build out from the prior bar was totally out of code. So right from the outset, they're like, oh, shoot, this is not what we expected. And then they opened up and really it, it felt like more of a restaurant with a good bar again, because that's what they were used to with trust. And that didn't really resonate with the community. So it was when they finally realized after a year and a half, like it wasn't really working out. That's when they reached. They start reaching out to me, and I told them no a few times because I didn't want to run a place that was a good restaurant with a bar. That's not my, you know, that's not really what I prefer to do. But in the end, yeah, I think we're a really great bar who happens to have really good food, right. and that's what I what would prefer people to view it as, as opposed to it's a it's a good bar with a great restaurant. Like it's not a restaurant; it's a bar, but it just ho- so happens to have great food, and that's something I think that is lost in San Diego. Everybody thinks of a bar as a bar and a restaurant as a restaurant. But if you're in New York, and it's like the same thing, it's liquor licenses that really make you have to do this, right? Like you need to show at least you're attempting to do 50% food and 50% cocktails. That's just a liquor license thing. And trust me, we obviously abide by it. We, we need our liquor license. But if you're going to do food, you might as well do it well, Proper. right? If you go to New York, all the great bars that you're, you think in your head, the PDTs, the employees only, even Dead Rabbit, which is the best cocktail bar in the world a few years running, you know, their, their other bar, uh, Blacktail, all those bars have great food programs and they're all like really focused, you know, not a ton of options, but they're, it's really focused food. 
that's seasoned properly and a little salty. Why? Because we want you to drink. It's a yeah. bar, right? But it should go hand in hand. It shouldn't be overly salty like, oh, I see what you're doing. But it, it should play off, you know, each bite in the way a restaurant pairing wine with food would, would p- play off each bite. I think San Diego started really doing that with Starlight. I don't know how long you've been here, but... Sure. Uh, I've been here for 13 years. So, yes. Yeah. Starlight's been around for, I think, yep. 12 years. Love and that, that place. was the, It was the first restaurant where the food and the cocktails were on the same level. Sure. Like you were saying, like, sometimes it's a great bar or sometimes it's a great restaurant. But then all of a sudden you have Starlight that married the two, elevated both, mm-hmm. create a great space. And I think that's the foundation of cool in San Diego, you know, with... Um, this new, the last 15 years, let's say, that was, I think, ground zero for a lot of where people Yeah, it wasn't a seeing. bar necessarily. Yeah. It was still a restaurant with a with a decent bar program, you know? But yeah, I think that you're probably, you know, I, when I think of, of what started San Diego in the bar world, I think of like Prohibition and, you know, Noble Experiment and places like that. Um, but you're right. Probably if you're thinking about marrying the two styles and trying to elevate both and create a cool environment, yeah, Starlight was probably like the roots. Yeah, we have a lot of great bars. Yep. Like El Dorado is a great bar. Oh, yeah. You know, but uh, it, it's, it was never to that level. And all of a sudden we saw that and I think it opened a lot of people's eyes to what the two can do. Especially when you're drawing people to where that is located. Yeah, on talk South about of it. Brass, like, <laughs> like Midtown. If you're, if you're going out there, you're going out there specifically for Starlight or Aero Club. Yeah. You know? And so to, gr- to grab people from all over and get them to Starlight, that obviously was a huge deal. And it opened up a lot of eyes, for sure. Parking's never an issue. <laughs> never. No, no. I mean, not back then, probably. Yeah. Now it is. Okay, so you told me earlier that you're from San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. I'm from I'm from San Francisco in the Bay Area, and I bounced around a bit. And I, I started life in the kitchen, uh, working at a place called Blondie's Pizza, which unfortunately is not there anymore. A few too many uh, rodents, I think. I can't remember. <laughs> that was long after I left. We had a pretty decent, clean kitchen. It didn't look like it from the outside because we were all wearing blue hair and stuff, but uh, <laughs> it was a pretty clean kitchen. Chef was pretty serious about that. And I just bounced around. I, I worked in some, some restaurants trying out serving, which wasn't really my thing. And uh, I started bothering my owner and, and manager to let me go behind the bar at 22. And uh, sure enough, somebody got fired and they were like, all right, kid, here's your Mr. Boston's bar manual. Like, go, <laughs> go, go to town. Back in the day of, uh, of you know, no fresh juice, it was all, you know, it was all just whatever, you know. Like, oh. I mean, it, it was all the, you know, the sweet and sour mix, yeah. you know, and, and the uh, Island Oasis machine, which you could, like, press a button and a margarita would pop out. It was really weird. But that was the time. It was all flavored martinis. And um, the thing that really uh, always drew my attention was the one ingredient that wasn't from that era. It was a bottle of Angostura bitters and obviously came from a way different period of time where cocktails were obviously cared for and curated and... Um, there, but there was no books. Like nowadays, all my all, everybody I mentor, they're like, oh, well, I've read the, this book and the Meehan and, you know, Morgenthaler. Like there's all these guys now that, you know, people can turn to and go, hey, well, I've read this book, so I should be able to bartend. Back then, you'd work at a door for a year, maybe then sniff, you know, bar backing a couple more years. Maybe they'll let you open the bar. And then by the time the bar is open and people start walking through the door, the, 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 yeah, the A-team comes in and closes it out. Um, but nowadays, like, there's so many more spots, which is amazing. We're in this really unique, growing uh, period in San Diego, and, and I'm excited about it because I feel like it, we we were l- a little late to the train, but we're definitely there now. Um, yeah, so it, 
it started out just really, you know, simply as a way to make some money while touring, you know, and it was an easy way to get my shifts covered if I was going to go out of town for a, for a, you know, North Cal- North Northern California tour with my band. Um, and then once the band kind of started fizzling out and I realized I had to make more money, I had to get more serious about it. And it, it, it was pretty shortly after that I moved down to San Diego and there was no bar jobs available because there was like three good bars. So I got into bar and restaurant management, um, ended up after, after a little time with Sammy Ledecky with Sammy's Wood Fired Pizza, I ended up over at Georgia, or sorry, over at uh, the Lodge, Tory Pines, running the, the grill and bar right by the uh, golf course. And I ran that thing for four and a half years, did the uh, assistant food and beverage director thing for another year. Uh, but working under Jeff Jackson was a really unique experience for me. Uh, and it kind of kept me there longer than I think I would have because it wasn't my scene. Um, although I learned a lot with the whole five diamond, four star uh, hospitality thing and teaching new employees how to how to live and, and be in that. So that's yeah, it really did change things for me. Uh, uh, you know, a guy from San Francisco, punk kid who worked at the punk rock pizza shop and, you know, the punk rock bars to like elevate to that level I, I, I definitely was like I look in the mirror in the morning every day with the, with the suit and tie be like who are you, <laughs> who are you? <laughs> but, uh, and why are you serving Tiger Woods I hate you yeah <laughs> um, yeah so that was kind of it was cool we, we I got him through the uh, the 2008 US Open which was a unique experience I uh, ran the, the food and beverage on the golf course which was a really unique experience I have a whole list of stories we could talk about when the bleep thing is not on <laughs> but uh, yeah so that that was a time of my life that was really interesting and, and working under Jeff Jackson and seeing his culinary staff obviously inspired me and by the end of my journey there I was I was using a lot of their techniques to help develop some of the cocktails for Air Valentine which uh, unfortunately I was kind of fighting up a, an uphill battle there especially Gosh, that was probably like eight, seven, eight years ago. La Jolla wasn't ready for that. Although I did, I was playing a lot in the craft beer scene back then because that was really what was local and happening. Uh, coming from the Bay Area, we've always been taught to like champion what's local, what's fresh, what's interesting, and keep, you know, keep money obviously in the city, keep money in the, in the region. Know, yeah, in the region. So obviously we played a lot with wine. Is the wine region in Napa and Sonoma, and that's where my a lot of my uncles and what have you are uh that was obviously what we were passionate about there was very few good craft breweries in san francisco there's a few more now but still i mean it's just not where we're at in san diego and at the time people were coming in off the golf course asking myself and my bartenders hey what do you have that's local because i heard you guys have great breweries meanwhile the locals that would play the course would just crush bud light they didn't even know what was going on in their own town um so at one point one of my chefs from the grill actually took me to Tornado. I think it was in their first couple weeks of opening up when Ian opened that down here um, and showed me what beer could be because I always thought it was just really bad, you know, American beer for the most part. Um, and the beer that goes well with pizza, you know, like trashy pizza. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like they opened up my eyes real quick at what was going on in this town and I got really excited about it because it was the one thing at that time I feel like that San Diego was doing, that San Diegans were a part of as opposed to the zoo or the beach or the sun um so yeah i've jumped right in we ended up becoming the first allied member with the brewers guild in san diego that was an upscale environment at that time it was all the hamiltons and the you know places like that um and uh it got to a point where with uh, one of the former brewers guild presidents and myself we were able to establish the ending the closing event for beer week, for beer week yeah. yeah at the lodge it was called still beer one Garden. of the best 
Yeah, events. it's something that I'm really proud of because that was like seven, eight years ago that I sat in a room with my buddy Adam Carbonell and was like, hey, we should we should elevate this, right? They've just spent 10 days in, in di- dingy, dark beer bars. Let's get them out on this patio. Let's get them out at sunset and have all these amazing chefs pair with the, the beer. And that concept wasn't new. We were already doing that event at, at the Lodge a month prior with something called Celebrate the Craft, which Jeff Jackson was, was big into and uh, created. It's like we already have the infrastructure at the Lodge ready to go in that beautiful setting. All we had to do was then, you know, okay, wine guys go home, beer guys come in, and you've got something just as unique. So I, I can't say that I came up with the concept, but I definitely helped put the, the whole thing together, and I'm proud that that's still a thing. What year was that? Was it 2010? Man. Yeah, somewhere. Yeah, I was at the very first one, I thought. Yeah, I think it was... It might have been the second beer week, but it was the week that yeah. it actually kind of magnified. The first year was just like we have this thing called Bartender's Weekend. The first year was really just a pool party at the Lafayette. The second year was the first Bartender's Weekend. Um, I felt like the first year of beer week was a you know nice trial. And then I think really quickly, Convis and you know San Diego breweries and just in general, they're like, oh, shoot, okay, yeah, we can do this. You know, there's, We have all the infrastructure. We have all the breweries. Um, and then there, it came to a point where uh, laws changed and breweries were able to sell pints at normal prices, at full pints in their in their tasting rooms. And at that time, all the breweries became instantly profitable. And that was when we went from 35 to 100 and whatever. 65. Yeah, <laughs> that we have now. Um, super proud of that. We were all working so hard for that to happen. But it, at that time, I was, I'm was i not a beer guy per se. I'm not Me a brewer. Neither. Yeah. I mean, I love beer. I'll sit down after a shift and, and, and have an IPA for sure. And that and I'm proud of that because when I moved to this town, I would have never had a West Coast IPA because it was too bitter and just out of balance. I always, I always thought with cocktails, everything needs to be in balance and beer needs to be in balance. If you're going to put that much hops into a beer, you need to put that much malt. Now, if you give me that beer that's perfectly balanced with hops and malts, I'll be like, this is really sweet. You know? <laughs> but uh yeah, that was at, at that time. I was like, okay, they've got it. They don't need me as an advocate anymore. Um, I'm going to go back to the bars and work back in the cocktail realm because that's home base. That was what I knew. That's what I really loved, and it, it just felt right. So that was when I uh, jumped ship and headed over to uh, Georgia's to run just a really simple 12, 13 cocktail menu at California Modern. That was the original idea of, and kind of taking a step back from the management role. I was spending a lot of time that last year at at the lodge just crushing numbers and setting you know 12 different outlets as budgets and that was not what i love to not do fun. no i was like 30 you know 31 or whatever it was and it was too soon to be stuck in an office you know in the bowels of a ship so um that's what i did i left in a in um sat down with trey fauche and uh kind of mapped up you know what i was thinking about running that program and it really aligned well and we knew each other for a while he used to come into the the grill at the lodge after work, either with his kids or himself, just to have a burger. Um, so we had a good relationship, and I knew that guy was obviously really talented. So it was great. I moved over there. It was a week after, or maybe about a month after John Bowdy, the Bautista, the chef, started over there. So we both came in at the same time, kind of fresh, ready to go, started talking about ideas. And um, I started riffing off of his concepts and his food concepts, trying to keep things super hyper-seasonal, so I wouldn't change the menu a couple times a year. I would just swap out as things went out of season. That Swapped was, out like uh, vegetables. Well, or fruit yeah, I would or... change out the cocktails. Like if, oh, if we it. had a you know a winter citrus cocktail on, and 
you know, limes always go first, and then you, you've got grapefruit start heading out of season, and then lemons are last. So if it was a grapefruit thing, as soon as grapefruit was done, we just pull that off and put something else in its place, you know, whether that become quad or what have you. Um, so that was really fun, and it was the first time I had the chance to really play in the seasons. And we spent a lot of time over at Chino and a lot of time up in the La Jolla area just, you know, foraging for wild fennel, which is a totally different flavor when it grows by the seaside than when it grows over in Mission Valley. It's There's so much more, like, salinity to it that yeah. it's... Uh, I miss it already, like, only being away from uh, Georgia's for seven months, that, like, fresh coastal fennel. Wild. Um, yeah, so that was a lot of fun kind of learning and then just continuing to learn culinary techniques. At that level, I'd never seen that and had a chance to play in the kitchen over at the lodge. It was always so busy in that Air Valentine kitchen. I would try to stay away and just kind of pick and dip and dunk like and ask questions with the pastry chef. Um, but yeah, over at George's, there was more time. There was time in the afternoon to sit and just chat about things or, or just go in the kitchen. What are you guys working with? You know, what, what techniques are you excited about? And I learned a lot both from Chef uh, Trey and, and Chef John and then from um, the pastry chefs we've had, Lori Sauer, who's no longer with George's, but um, yeah, doing great. amazing things. She's and over then, at uh, Blue Bridge. Oh, yeah. yeah she, her and TK. I, I, it's funny that we all still connect. Oh, because TK worked up at... Yeah, uh, yeah he ran Lodge. Air Valentine. So, yeah, yeah we, have, we have a great relationship. And I love watching all of us kind of, you know, over the years do amazing things and really elevate this town. Um, and Tim it's Clanko great. left... Blue Bridge too, didn't he? I'm not sure about that. I actually haven't haven't heard from him in a couple months. The last time he came in was right when I started over at Hundred Proof, and he like he was still with Blue Bridge at the time. But yeah, it's great to see all them move on. Um, and Ali, Chef Ali, who took over the pastries once Lori left, like they all have great you know ability and technique and and ideas, and it was fun to kind of pick their brains. And then a couple years into working over there, I, I felt I obviously like reset. You know, I had some time off, spent a lot of time with yoga, a lot of time just deciding what I wanted to do, plot my life for the next five years. Um, I, started, I started pushing George to, to um, kind of change his mid-level bar, which wasn't really making any money for him. It was just spillover from the terrace and turning it into something special and turning it into a, like a, a modern cocktail bar, something that really unique for La Jolla. Because you don't think of La Jolla as being no. a cocktail neighborhood. No, and it's really not per se. But the thing that always... One of the things that's always bothered me in the cocktail world in San Diego is that we don't have, and I'm going to say this, and there's a, p- a couple of really good friends over the Grant Grill that's going to be upset with me, so I'm going to just come out and say it. Like, the Grant Grill's an amazing hotel bar. Go check that out. Absolutely. But one of the things that we don't have is, is a couple really good, like, high, high-level cocktail bars inside of, like, high, high-end hotels, save for the one I just mentioned. And uh, I, I think that I, we had a unique situation in La Jolla, with George's having three different concepts where we didn't have to be anything, you know, anything else other than that bar for the for the overall concept um, that we were able to take some of the you know culinary practices from downstairs, take like the the celebration of San Diego from the terrace and, you know, the, the, the amount of tourists that walk through that place every day for that view in the in the, you know, Cali Baja cuisine. Um, we could take little pieces from that. We could use a lot of the techniques I've learned and, and the, the cocktail acumen I've learned over the years and some of the, you know, flavors and techniques I learned from my experiences in Baja and Tijuana and Mexico City and turn turn that bar into kind of a pseudo hotel bar, kind of like a high-end hotel bar for San Diego, which is where we came up with the, the concept for the uh, Neighborhoods of San Diego concept menu, which was an 
month process because I did all the photography, all the writing, all the you know I, I solidified all the cocktails with my my guys and gals over there. Um, but it really was like a true expression of of like high level cocktails and and just telling the story of San Diego, which I wanted to do because people are already going up there and wanting wanting that San Diego experience and La Jolla experience. And I've always been really into like history anyways. So I, I thought it'd be a great idea to, you know, kind of highlight San Diego's neighborhoods and they've all become so distinct. And it, it became like a great like here, you know, it's a fun cocktail menu. But also, are you new to San Diego? Are you here for the week? Start plotting out some places to go, you know, and we put some of my favorite bars and restaurants in there and for each neighborhood. That way you'd have some recommendations and it'd be a one stop shop. And they're, they're continuing on that well past my time there. Uh, they just released a new cocktail menu all about the different edible flora of San Diego, which is a concept that the current uh, bar manager, Sam Peters, and I had solidified before I left. And we worked pretty hard on it, so I was pretty confident that from where we left it, from where I knew they were going to be able to take it, that it would have enough of me and, and, and you know that backbone, but then plenty of them to be their own. Uh, so they're running all cylinders, just launched that menu. I'd definitely go check it out if you're driving in the car, pull over and go go up La Jolla Parkway and check them out. Great cocktail bar, George's Level 2. And that was all my brainchild um, with George, obviously, and Trey. Um, but the original concept there was like a, a gastropub. That was what George was thinking of doing. And at the time, I think the Cohen Restaurant Group had just released one. I was like, no, man, like... We hey, can't do that. We can't do it. The Cohen Group just did it. Like, th- that's when the... Jumped the, the shark. <laughs> I, I hate to say that. I'm sorry for everybody that works at Cohen. I do have some good friends over there. But, yeah, I mean, obviously, large corporations like that are going to be slow to, you know, trends. So if, if beer became really popular five years ago, that's when the Cohen Group is going to say, okay, now we can invest in this, you know. Well, wait. They were one of the first <laughs> true people true, true. to have a bar. They uh, were. Or, sorry, a brewery in San Diego. True. Yeah. Absolutely. But the the idea of the gastropub. Right, right. It came back around to that about five years late. Or maybe like three years late. But uh, yeah, so I was like, no, George, don't, you can't do that. No, <laughs> George's gastropub, like... GGB? No, 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 no. Let's let's just do a cocktail bar. Nobody else is doing that anywhere Especially close by. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, now you've got Raised by Wolves killing it and on the imbibe list for best cocktail bar in the country this year. So all that, I feel like we moved that needle. And not just me, but the but the Lay Russes from uh, Campfire and, uh, and their new restaurant. And I, I think we're just moving the needle away from, you know, just being in Little Italy and downtown and, and North Park or University Heights. And you're seeing these bars prop up everywhere. These people want to go check them out. And it's, it's hot right now. It's good. I feel passionate and excited that we had. I may have had something to do with that and maybe given people the bug to get excited about it. Well, in your role as the president, current president of the uh, bartenders? Yeah, the United States Bartenders Guild. I, yeah. I, I'm the local chapter president. Tell us what you do for that. Sure. So I'm in year two of a two-year contract I guess for that and um, I actually have been asked to stay on one more year as like an advisory position Um, but yeah every two years we kind of change over a little bit of leadership Um, but it's a great resource for bartenders Um, it's in line with the International Bartenders Association Um, and really what it does is it gets it obviously helps with job placement if people are coming into town Um, obviously helps with educational pieces we do a lot of education and trainings and seminars and uh, tastings. Um, it's a great way to network both with different bartenders and bartenders with maybe bar managers or hiring managers. It's a great way to network from a brand perspective. If you have a new product, 
You can network with people who might buy your product. Um, there's a lot going on. There's uh, obviously, it's a small group of people in any town. Uh, San Francisco was the same way. People were doing it at a high level. It's a really small group of people. So San Diego's no different. You know, you've, you have a small group of people who are doing all these big craft programs. And uh, even if you look at like a lot of the places that are opening up, they all have consulting bartenders from a very small group of bars, right? Like I think Jesse Ross has been crushing it lately with, you know, he's from Sycamore Den and he's got numerous projects that he's had his hand in. Um, and I'm proud of that because I feel like it took us a little time, but I, I think, and I was definitely a proponent of everybody just helping each other out and propping each other up and, and t- training up, you know, Instead of, I feel like the first generation of cocktail bartenders, when you know craft cocktails really came back, everybody was kind of mixing cocktails over their shoulder, like so nobody could see. Like, no, no, nobody's doing this. Like, we're all making a ginger syrup. We're all making these ingredients there that are in every cocktail, and we all have our own way of doing it. But why not talk about like, well, you know, like Jason, his approach to a syrup is very cerebral and scientific, and somebody else's comes from very culinary background or. Like, there's 18 different ways to make a ginger syrup. Like, why not talk about it and maybe try them all and see which one we like better? Um, and when we started doing that, I feel like that was when we were set up and uh, capable of this expansion we're seeing now. Well, I think it's the um, lesson to be learned from the San Diego brewers is that they're all about collaboration. They're all about, hey, I don't have this uh, hop. Can someone lend me 500 pounds of it? Yeah, you know? surprise, surprise. Guess where I learned that yeah. whole process from was my time in beer and my time in craft beer in this town, especially at that time when I was involved with it because everybody was struggling. Alesmith hadn't turned a profit yet, and they were open for eight, nine years. Um, like credit to you know, Peter and his whole team for sticking it out. I would not have been able to do that. Um, but yeah, like it, back then when everybody was just trying to take market share off the big boys... You know, like, we don't care which beer you drink. Just don't drink Anheuser-Busch. That was the motto, basically. Like, we're just trying to grab a piece, like, make the pie bigger. We can all fight over the pieces later, but right now we're just trying to get people off the macro beer. And I feel like we were in that same, you know, uh, spot a couple years ago. It's like, we're just trying to get people into the craft bars and get them excited about it, you know? Stop just ordering a Jack and Coke. Right, yeah, and I think we're still in there. Like, we're we're, we're all our best supporters, I feel like, and, you know... and when Jesse Ross from Sycamore Den has success, that's my success. When, you know, Ryan Andrews and the GOBD group or whatever from downtown, when they open up a new spot and it's successful, that's my success too. Because people are out at these bars, the bars I, I work at, the bar I hope to own, you know. It, to, to have enough people excited about that in this town to go and fill up all these bars we have is more important to me than which bar they go to that night. Yeah, because we have to become a cocktail town. Right. You know, and, and I think that, we're set up for that better than a lot of towns yeah. because we like bitter beer. Yeah, totally. And a lot of drinks are bitter. Um, where do you drink around town? Right. Um, when I'm not at Hundred Proof, because I'm there. Because <laughs> you're there all the time. <laughs> um, well, I try to go down to Tijuana a couple times a, a month, and obviously North Dakota is a great spot for that. Um, but obviously, when I'm in San Diego, I try to stop by at Noble Experiment whenever I can because they always do something fun on their little experimental menu. Um, the, bo- the boys down there are doing a great job. Um, Kindred, what, what David Kinsey and the staff over there does, I think is tremendous. And it's such a unique concept that didn't exist before Kindred opened. Like death the whole, Metal what, Vegan. Yeah, death Metal Vegan, what the hell is that, right? Like, um, but now like I have people, like, you know, uh, there, there's a, uh, Candace from um, 
from Visit San Diego, uh, San Diego Tourism, she, she actually texted me the other day like, hey, is there like another like, you know, hardcore death metal vegan place? Because like, I mean, I know there's Kindred and I love going there, but I just wanted something new. I'm like, so we've reached saturation where we need another vegan death metal bar. Cool. Hey, anybody listen to this? Let's get that going. <laughs> or hey, the team at Kindred, let's open up another location somewhere. Um, so yeah, definitely Kindred for sure. I think obviously uh, South Park's having a big win right now because Fernside is a great spot to hang out, great yeah. neighborhood spot. Um, small bar, if, if you haven't made it back over there after the remodel, I definitely, I would I would recommend giving it a try. I love the old small bar and, um, and the whole Liars Club aesthetic, uh, being an old punk rocker from San Francisco. Um, so I definitely appreciated small bar for, you know, ever since it opened. The expression and, and what's what's going on, the boom here has come from south of the border, and that needs to be noted for sure, that all the best restaurants have always been, in San Diego, has always been in Tijuana. And now that now that we're getting pushed by that, I think you're seeing a bigger explosion of of, uh, of a movement of food and, and, and beer and cocktails, what have you, all pushing our region forward and creating this very unique environment that's not just San Diego and beaches and a zoo. It's Cali Baja. It's something that can be sold nationally or internationally. And you're seeing Sunset Magazine and uh, Better New Homes York and Times. Gardens, the New York Times, yeah. mentioning San Diego and Tijuana as, as, as a group and having the biggest land border crossing in the world and um, and having that a little bit more porous, you know, and better relationship between the two cities have seen both boom. And not just now, but any time that has happened in the past, you've seen both cities boom. The last time that happened was during Prohibition. And that was how Tijuana grew up. And that's what we celebrate at Nortico. And it, it was really interesting learning that history. The last time San Diego was really relevant was during Prohibition. Until now. And I think it's definitely relevant. And But that needs to be noted that it's not just San Diego doing that. That's Tijuana and that relationship that we have. And that neither community would really succeed without the other yeah uh on the same note it's like beer help spark this yep but now you're seeing great coffee being made great cocktails being poured yeah everybody uh, likes bitter flavors now yeah interesting w- wines are becoming a thing so it's all these things that end up being touched by this spark Right, and now we're seeing the fruits of that. And it was definitely um, beer. It was, yeah, it was definitely. It was the beer. same thing with culinary in this town. It it started out with something very simple, and something that comfort food. It was beer, beer and and burgers. I remember a time like when neighborhood opened. It, it, everybody was trying to have the best burger, and that was all we cared about. Like, who has the best burger? And yeah, it started out with burgers and pizza. And it, and my my friend Rufo, Chef Rufo, he always talks about San Diego giving Tijuana beer. Uh, and craft beer and then he always talks about Tijuana giving San Diego the taco and like <laughs> but that's really what it is but it's it's riffing off that stuff alright you like burgers so you like meat so okay look at Trust and what they did with you know land mammals you know and, and all that you know pig fare and all the pig parts and uh, I think they've changed all the passwords now but all the passwords for everything over at Trust used to have to do with pigs because <laughs> Bra- you know Chef Brad's obsessed with pigs um, but yeah and, and now if you like a taco there's all that Cali Baja cuisine, and it could be super elevated from just a taco. But it, it's important to me to know that you can sell a taco for five, six bucks in this town, and it not have to just be the late night, you know, fair. Well, thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. Is uh, are are there any uh, events you want to push? Uh, I know you're releasing a new menu early part of June. Yeah, um, the date is still unknown only because we're waiting on some leather <laughs> to get purchased. Uh, but all brand new menus. Um, when I started over there, I, I had to make a quick 
a quick uh, change to the menu and, and obviously elevate the cocktail program, but we haven't been able to showcase them properly. So it'll be a brand new leather-bound book with our new logos on it, um, all broken out by cocktail families, kind of like you're reading a bar manual. Um, and then beyond that, we'll have all of our offerings. We have a great whiskey list and a great back bar list in general, great rum selection uh, from all over the Caribbean, um, great gin selection. So that'll all be in there. We'll have where everything's from, the proof, because that's kind of a big deal to us, the 100 proof. Uh, it's in your name. Bar. Yeah, bro. it's in the name. Obviously, we have a lot of 100 proof spirits. It's kind of a magical number. Um, yeah, and, and price as well. And that was something that was, is, it sounds like a no-brainer, but our menu never had the prices for whiskey on there. And people don't like to ask. So, And our prices are really good. So why not highlight them? So everything will be detailed, easy to read, easy to find stuff that you're passionate about. Um, that way it takes a little pressure off of us, but we still like to talk about that stuff and help people into what they what they want to drink and what they want to eat. And that's something we're really passionate about. And I'm excited for 100 Proof. Um, in this last seven months, we've had a lot of changes. We've done a lot of really rad things. We've had a lot of great guest bartenders from all over the world. Um, most notably the Lima Tour group from Mexico City, uh, Devin Kennedy from Pouring Ribbons in New York. Um, and we'll continue that. We have a lady who's been staging in Mexico for the last six months, who's originally from Russia. She's from uh, Moscow. She's won uh, Bacardi Legacy in the past, uh, which is a big global competition. Um, but she'll be co- coming through hopefully either late July, early August. She's just making her way through the States right now. Um, but we're excited to have her and continue that 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 growth, um, not just for our own bar in our own neighborhood, but for the community at large. It was something I've always been passionate about and, and seeing how Eric Castro and the team over at Plight Visions have been able to to do that. Um, that was definitely something that I've always been proud of them for is to bring talent to San Diego and allow us all to experience it and learn from that and learn from their techniques and what they're doing and celebrate that. And what they did for North Park and that region of North Park that used to be very seedy and now is kind of the where the needle moved from University and 30th, you know, is a big deal. And I, I, I don't want to do that necessarily because University Heights and the business district has always been underneath that sign. But if you're going to hang out in University Heights, we're just a couple blocks down Park Boulevard in between trust and that, you know. So why, why not make it a night? And I'm proud of that neighborhood for becoming what it's becoming, eclectic, but also really, you know, a lot of talent. And you are also going to be the uh, a judge at the uh, Pacific Magazine Margarita Grand Tasting yeah. in a few weeks. Yeah, that's in, and that's in line with the uh, the USBG. Yeah, um, a few days. Yeah, yeah, coming up pretty soon, uh, June first. So yeah, thirty different bars making you know their version of a margarita. Uh, I'm looking forward to tasting through thirty. I'm going to have to drink lots of water. I did it last uh, year. I was a okay. judge last year. It's it's intense. It's fun, but you you get some. You get some uh, alcohol in you. Yeah, I've I've, been, I've I've judged many a competition, um, and this one I'm I'm gearing up for for sure. I'm going to start drinking tequila a couple months or a couple weeks early. Just ease in. Yep, massage that liver. <laughs> no, I'm looking forward to it. So, give us your address over at um, at uh, Hundred Proof, four one three zero Park Boulevard. And how can we follow you on Instagram, Facebook? Yeah, sure. S J B E R T O S J Berto on Instagram. Stefan Kerpinski on Facebook. Uh, have jiggers will travel. Have jiggers will travel. My website. Yeah, there it is. I have your matches. Yep. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. You've been listening to Kiss My Glass with host Edwin Rial and guest Stefan Kerpinski. 
This podcast is a monthly collaboration between Pacific Magazine and the Facebook group Eating and Drinking in San Diego and is hosted on the UT Podcast Network. A special thanks to our sound editor, John Kelly, for making sure you can hear us loud and clear today. I'm Leslie Hackett, Editor-in-Chief of Pacific Magazine, and I'm here to wrap things up with a few food and drink events coming to San Diego. As Stefan alluded to in the podcast, this Saturday, June 1st, marks the fifth annual Pacific Margarita Month Festival Grand Tasting. Join us as we sample our way through 30 margaritas to find out who around town makes the best. And new this year, in addition to the margaritas, the event will be the kickoff to Michelada Month, with restaurants and bars sampling their specialty mixes as well. More details and tickets are available at margaritamonth.com. If wine is more your style, this weekend is also Urban Wineries Weekend. With a Sip the City kickoff event on May 31st, the heavy pours continue June 1st and 2nd at the headquarters at Seaport Village. Visit sdurbanwineries.com for more info. The fair rolls into town in June, and with it comes several spirited events, including Toast of the Coast and the Distilled Spirit and Cocktail Festival at the Del Mar Fairgrounds. Enter for a chance to win tickets to these events, taking place June 8th and 22nd, respectively, at PacificSanDiego.com. And find more details for each at ToastOfTheCoast.com and DistilledSanDiego.com. A unique spot to host a festival, climb aboard the USS Midway for the 17th Annual Beer and Sake Festival on June 13th. The event which supports the Japan Society's educational outreach programs, will also feature art booths and a silent auction. More info is available at japan-society.org. This is just the first serving of great food and drink events. More can be found at pacificsandiego.com. Be sure to follow Pacific on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the handle at PacificSD for more cool events to keep you busy all year long craving more? Don't forget to sign up for this podcast and our Food Forward podcast, Dish It Up, which hits airwaves on the second Monday of the month. Cheers! Cheers.